Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Very happy to have you with us and want to let you know that the Institute of Public Theology is now in full swing. Classes will be offered in the fall. Uh, Dr. Tom Askell and Dr. Tom Nettles will be starting and there is a convocation that is scheduled. We're very excited about all that's going on with the Institute. Yeah, August 28th, we've got Everett Piper coming to speak as our uh, inaugural guest speaker for our inaugural uh, convocation. So inviting folks to come to be a part of that and uh, we'll have some of our faculty here as well you get a chance to meet them so it's going to be a great weekend tom will just be finishing up his course on church history and i'll start my course the following monday on pastoral theology in the public square if you want more information you can go to the institute or institute of public theology.org we also have a our national conference coming up militant and triumphant on the doctrine of the church that's coming up in january down here in southwest florida and you'll be preaching i'll be preaching vody bacham will be preaching conrad and bayway will be preaching uh, pastor james coates from up in right. alberta canada will be preaching and we're looking forward to a wonderful time so you can actually register for that conference now go to founders.org for more information we're delighted to have Dr. Burns with us here today. Uh, Dr. Burns is a friend of mine for some time. We studied our PhD together and then uh, have stayed connected in the wake of that. And uh, he is a longtime missionary and also involved in theological education overseas and uh, also stateside. And we are not going to share the details exactly where Dr. Burns is located or what he's done uh, because he is engaged in a great work for the Lord. And some of that involves discretion. But uh, you've already published a couple books and you have a couple books uh, right in the process of being published with Founders Ministries. The first is going to be Transcultural Gospel, which is actually available for pre-order right now. You can go to founders.org and pre-order that book and you'll want to pre-order that book because it's dealing with uh, a lot of the stuff that Founders Ministries has been dealing with, but as it is applied on the mission field. So Dr. Burns, we're so glad to have you with us today for the Sword and the Trowel. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. Well, why don't you just briefly tell us, you know, I've given people a little bit of your background, but, you know, how long on the mission field and how long in theological education? And then why did you write Transcultural Gospel? Yeah, so I've been in missions for since the early 2000s and have done a variety of things from urban to rural to um, Asia, Africa, Eastern Europe, and uh, have some ministry also in Alaska with Bush natives. And um, I have, well, having been a church planner and then talking with people above and over me saying, you know, you should do more theological training because um, one of the best ways to work yourself out of a job is to train theologians who can take the banner and run with it. And so that's one of those conversations is what led me to do a PhD and God's opened multiple doors for that to teach. And I teach in Asia at Asia Biblical Theological Seminary based out of Thailand and um, also direct the MA in Global Leadership Program at Western Seminary in Portland. And I do that remotely and all my students are mostly international and we convene um, there once a year in June and I have a lot of other classes I teach around the world but um, I, I guess what led me to write the transcultural gospel specifically was observations over the years of people putting too much emphasis upon methods and upon um, uh, kind of the technicality of 
rightly or or you know relevantly contextualizing the gospel and my my argument is instead of focusing on the relevance of contextualization we should focus mainly on the rightness of our communication of the gospel Mm. and um, focus on the content of what we want to make sure they understand and not the method so that it there's you know minimize hiccups along the way inevitably there's going to be you know misunderstandings but if we hold fast to what the holy spirit has been pleased to illumine throughout church history and emphasize those big top tier core level gospel doctrines um people will understand the holy spirit will give them understanding we i think we just don't trust in the holy spirit's ability to open their eyes to see wonderful things in god's law so would you say then that uh, the, the most important thing for uh, someone going to a different culture from their own in order to make Christ known is to really be deeply uh, grounded in what the gospel is, understanding the gospel, understanding how it works, and having that, then the issues of crossing over to a different culture, do they just, they don't, they automatically sort themselves out or do they, do they suddenly become uh, more manageable? Or what would you say? Yeah, I, I think uh, there, it's it's nuanced because a lot of times, I mean, we're talking about different personalities. People have different communication styles. Um, some are a bit more, by nature, maybe a bit more abrasive in their communication styles. So there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of sanctification that has to happen. So um, I think the priority must be uh, get our doctrine as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the when you think about contextualizing so to speak, I think you should primarily think of learning a new language mm. because language is the container for culture. A lot of, there's a lot of talk about culture this, culture that, and everybody's got their own culture. But I, I just think a lot of that's just um, affinity groups and lifestyle preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's the way the Bible talks about culture and the way fallen humanity talks about culture. And I think we adopt that terminology way too much, but we need to focus on um, Theology, doctrine, the core of the gospel, and it does work itself out. Uh, you just, well, what I teach in my classes is that clarity is the enemy of error. Mm. One, one of the best things you can do is say what you mean, mean what you say, and define terms, and use doctrinal language to describe biblical meaning. Mm-hmm. And um, don't, don't put your confidence in your ability to have cultural savvy. Put your confidence in the word of God to do his work. You know, Jared, I was just thinking about uh, the Southern Baptist convention we attended at Nashville a few weeks ago in which there was a resolution passed that said that uh, theology shouldn't interfere with our evangelism. You know, that we need to make sure evangelism is more important and we don't let theological differences hinder evangelism. Respond to that. Well, of course I, I don't want to impute good <laughs> no, or bad motives. No, I'm not talking about motives. I'm just talking about the principle. Yeah, thing, I mean, the, yeah. In principle. I feel kind of weird because here you are. I mean, you're a theological teacher and a missionary, but, you know, I thought some people would say such things can't exist. There's a man who actually is a theological professor and a missionary at the same time. Well, he just doesn't let his theology get in the way. That's what he's but yeah, it just, to me, I mean, everybody's a theologian, as R.C. Sproul would mm-hmm. say. And uh, the way you do evangelism... Um, it's always going to reveal what you think the problem is. Now, if, if, if the problem is, is people are sick or they're broken um, or they need healing, then your evangelism and your ministry is going to indicate the solution to that problem. Um, but if the problem is, is that people are damned in Adam and they need a redeemer, they need the last Adam to 
impute them with his righteousness, then, you know, your ministry methods are going to reveal or at least follow suit with what you believe to be the solution to the original problem. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just, I just think when you look at methods and what, this is one of the exercises that I do with my students is we go through anonymous mission statements of a lot of different ministries. And then we try to understand what is the problem they're trying to solve. Mm. Um, so you want to look at uh, what is the solution? What are that you got to do enough of? And what is the problem? Who's the agent of the solution? You or somebody else, a mediator. And um, to what degree do you need to do something to enact the solution to that problem? And it's, it's all theological. Missiology is always downstream of theology. Always. There's no way around it. Now, Dr. Burns, you have a second book coming out with founders uh, called Ancient Gospel Brave New World, which is really a beefed up academic um, um, work that is very much in line with transcultural gospel that's coming out uh, right now and can be ordered, uh, can be pre-ordered now. If you take both of these books together, uh, a lot of our listeners here, we have a lot of people in, in the States that listen, mainly people, lis listeners in the West, there's going to be some overseas. But when you, when you as a missionary uh, look at what you've experienced over many years, what is the main problem? Communicate to those here in the West about what's the, what's the status of that mission field? What's really wrong? And how are your books uh, addressing that problem? Oh, man. The main problem, um, I, I think there's multiple problems, there's multiple layers. I, I think most of those problems that we see throughout the world, whether it's in Africa or Asia or even in Bush, Alaska, um, they're all downstream of kind of a um, bible light approach to missions. And so um, I think there's a certain gravitas that people don't have on the mission field when it comes to biblical interpretation. And I don't know if, you know, if it's Southern hospitality or what it is, people don't want to offend people. And I get that. You don't, you don't want to be unnecessarily offensive, but I think there's a confusion between persona and the personality of the missionary with the goods he's delivering. And at some point you have to be okay with just pulling the trigger and, and letting the gospel do its work. Um, and so I would say, uh, what I've observed is that a lot of the issues that we are seeing in the evangelical movement today, in at least in the West, now the evangelical movement in other parts of the world, they're, they're not struggling with the same things we're talking about. I mean, a lot of the, the issues, a lot of that intramural ire that we have in the, the Western evangelical world, you know, you talk to Filipinos or, or um, Nigerians or Thai believers, they're just, it's just not the... It's just not there for them. They're not asking those questions. So um, it's part of it's, I think, our political moment. Uh, but this is, this is the issue, is that in missions for the longest time, uh, there has been a, you know, call it um, white shame or white guilt. You know, we, we are inheritors of, you know, they would call them colonialist missionaries, and they have colonized the minds of Africans or Asians, and um, they have forced upon them the white man's interpretation of scripture. And to me, if, if you read church history and you have a developed bibliology and pneumatology, um, it's pretty naive to say that because first of all, it, Jesus builds his church and he's the Lord of the church. He's the head of the church. And um, when you look at the patterns of what the Holy Spirit has done throughout church history to build the church and to develop doctrines, to develop theology, um, I, I just think 
if you blame, so to, so to speak, blame those interpretations on just cultural standpointism, um, you're you're elevating the ability of man to to do something that is transcultural, that is transgenerational, and you're demoting the authority of Christ in developing His church in His way with His men in His time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, when when we talk about you know, what's kind of now in vogue to talk about standpoint theory and intersectionality. A lot of that is indicative of a lot of bad missiology. Now, it's not from missiology, but it's been practiced and it's been inculcated by a lot of missiology over the last decades or so. And I've, I've seen it flesh out in people asking, well, like literal, I've, little scenarios where they'll put a Bible in somebody's hand and say, how do you interpret it? How do you interpret this? Um, you know, what does this mean to you? And they'll quote John 14 and they'll quote other verses, say, well, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He'll lead us into all truth. And they extract verses out of context. And then they have to self-theologize apart from the witness of the the global church in, you know, apart from the witness of the creeds and the confessions and any sort of, not traditionalism, but tradition of the patterns of what the Holy Spirit has done throughout church history. Wow. You know, I think it was C.T. Studd who said, uh, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell, and I desire to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. And then you, you take what's going on and say, well, yeah, and when I get there, when I get within a yard of hell, I want to sit down and have a decentralized self-discovery session. You know, it's like it doesn't make any sense. Now you're going there to preach Christ to people. But so a lack of courage on the mission field seems to be one dimension. And the other thing you mentioned, which was very interesting, is the idea of, you know, you're colonizing these people, which is what we're getting. What we're getting in the States Mm -hmm. is, well, keep your Bible within the four walls, right? So you get the resolution one at the SBC, you know, that's a political interest as if your politics is not to be informed by the Bible, as if your politics is not to be informed by theology. And on the mission field, it's the same thing. You know, you show up. Well, we know God's word has shown us that when the gospel goes to a culture, what happens? The people get saved and the people start to live differently. The people start to, in that society, operate differently. And very often blessing comes as you begin to follow God's word and God's ways. But there's a temptation to cut that off, like reduce it. You're not allowed because that looks like colonization. That looks like you bringing your culture to them in some kind of erroneous way. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think one thing, a couple of things that need to be stated is inevitably there's going to be the the home culture of the missionary, and then there's biblical culture, and then there's the target culture, and they all kind of overlap at some point. You you know, part of being a good student of people and you know being in touch with your own junk and your own stuff is you know your ditches, you know their ditches. And you can kind of, if you can be you know, self-effacing and say, you know what, this is where I struggle. And these are my own blind spots that I am aware of. And I certainly I have my own that I'm not even aware of. Um, you know, that, that opens the door to humble conversations. But you always, want, you always want to win them to the centrality of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest task is to win people to the centrality of the Bible and let the Bible do its work. Just like when you look at church history, it's, it's not that the church form the Bible, the Bible formed the church. Mm-hmm. We are downstream of the sufficiency of Scripture alone, the primacy of Scripture. And so um, it doesn't mean we're biblicists and we just we don't use any sort of tradition or any sort of teaching or any sort of doctrine. It's just it's it's the priority of of doctrine in you know teaching biblical meaning using theological language. We we must hold on to that. Because what happens is this I mean 
we, we think it's compassionate. We think it's humble to go to a culture and say, here's the Bible. What do you think it means? Look, you know, um, read it. And so in like DMM, disciple-making movements, um, practice, not, not everybody, but commonly this is the way it's done is, you know, uh, read it, um, interpret it for yourself, and then apply it. And then find and go obey it. So obedience-based discipleship, go obey it right away. And and I, I know a lot of these guys, and they're, I, th- I think their motives are noble. noble. They're just theologically ill-trained, not just untrained. I just think they've, they've digested wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, some are very open to teaching, to change and correction. Some are not. But um, I, I, I guess I would just say uh, we, we must contend for the centrality of the Bible and Impress upon people that Jesus is the Lord of His church. And if you were to, if you were to put a Bible in somebody's hand and say, "Interpret this for me in your own way," I mean, the anxiety and the angst those people have. And if if you can if you can just translate like a confession or a creed and give it to them and say, "This is what you know the fathers came up with. This is how they define sin." I mean, I, I've seen people with tears running down their face and we didn't know their answers to these questions mm. we thought we had to come up with the answers to what is sin or what is faith or what is the gospel like no there's actually answers and um it it just it gives them a sense of belonging because they've been a part of age-old traditions age-old um religions and family codes that now they have to walk away from and they're just they're feeling like they're floundering mm. they're, they have no stability to stand on but if you can help them feel a part of a legacy, man, they just lock into that. Mm. You know, what you said uh, about the three cultures, it comes right back down to what you started with, uh, knowing the Bible, understanding theology. Because if you do, then you're the more you understand the Bible, the less likely you're going to take your own preferences or culture and superimpose it on the scripture or on another culture. And you can say, well, no, yeah, we, we have white picket fences where I grew up, but you don't have to have a white picket fence here uh, in your area, but you do need what the scripture says about knowing God and about Jesus Christ. And that also then helps them to understand what part of my culture can I retain and what part do I just have to break hard with, which it, it just seems like we're all confused about this today. And it goes right back to not understanding the scriptures, not recognizing where the scripture draws the lines and where it doesn't. And what does it mean to be all things to all men that I might save some? Paul doesn't say he's without law. He says, no, I'm under the law of Christ. And it's like that part of that whole dimension of trying to, um, to be non-offensive gets lost. There is a revelation from God and we can't we don't serve anybody well by letting go of that. Yeah, and I, I think a uh, couple things. Um, first of all, I think the challenge is a lot of times is you know people are reacting and probably rightly so to uh, Western applications of Scripture. That yeah, okay, so we tend to be a bit more individualistic. Well, in but if you spend any time in those cultures, they're actually quite individualistic in their own way, especially in the urban settings. Urban centers tend to individualize people a lot more than the rural agricultural areas. So there's actually a lot of overlap, and you can't just say, well, all Westerners are individualistic. Well, really? I mean, most farming agricultural communities in upstate New York have you know, very little cultural connection to their 
family members living in penthouses in Manhattan. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of connectivity between those two cultures, um, but they're both Westerners. So it's it's nuanced. It's mm-hmm. so I just think that yeah, there there is probably rightly some um, pushback against you know, overdone Western applications of scripture, but we're talking about interpretations of scripture. And I would say there's, you know, don't, don't want to overstate the case. There is a main point, a main interpretation of scripture, but within that there's going to be multiple levels of interpretation. So for instance, like the Joseph narrative, um, you can, you know, like A.W. Pink had a hundred types of Christ in the Joseph narrative, which is, okay. I, so I, I enjoy biblical theology, but I just think that's probably a little overdone, personally. Um, so, to be sure, there are types of Christ, there are anti-types and types in the Joseph narrative, but there's also other things you can see that, you know, the the destruction of, of a dysfunctional family and sin. Um, I mean, putting too much trust in a secular government. Um, you know, a variety of other things, trusting God in the silence, the providence of God, the power of forgiveness to reconcile a family. I mean, there's a variety of different things you could draw out of the Joseph narrative. Um, but I think people are just too sloppy with language on the mission field because they're not trained linguistics or in linguistics sometimes, or they're not trained in theology sometimes. And so they make statements and they don't, I don't think they really mean what they say or know the implications of what they say and they confuse and then that leads to other things that you confuse the implications of the gospel with the center of the gospel or the goal of the gospel and um that, that's where a lot, a lot of my book speaks to is we, we got to keep the center of the center and then talk about the implications of what christ has done so that the gospel in an honor shame culture is not just um you know you're saved through loyalty to Christ and honoring Christ that well that's just code for works righteousness is what mm-hmm. that is and that makes sense to them in those cultures because that's what they know is a karmic works righteousness sort of system but that's the scandal of the gospel is that it runs against the grain of everything and in, in Mars Hill and in, in Acts 17 when Paul's um, arguing against the intellectuals in Athens, he's not looking for, and this is, this is a common misunderstanding, he's not looking for bridges into their culture, he's looking for talking points of their culture and he's responding against them and he's trying to be as countercultural as possible. You know, Eridus and Epimenides, he's quoting these poets, 300 and 500 years ago, he's saying, hey, in general revelation, they saw what you guys are now rejecting, shame on you <laughs> for not realizing what your forefathers have always known. And he's saying, that God that they were talked about, that's the God of the Bible. That's, that's who they're pointing to. And you don't even know it. You don't even know the traditions of your ancestors. They're not quoting like Paul Simon and John Lennon as potential bridge points. I mean, they, he's, not, he's not doing that. He's pointing out that, hey, Thomas Jefferson and William Shakespeare, they knew something about general revelation that you guys are now rejecting is mm. basically what he's saying. Mm. That's good. This book, Transcultural Gospel, uh, it's not just uh, for missionaries or even uh, potential missionaries. It really is something that all Christians are going to be able to benefit from. You, uh, as a Christian, are uh, a part of this great commission work of going and uh, proclaiming the word of God abroad. And so as as people uh, look to get this book, what is it you hope they will be equipped with? Uh, in what ways will they be ready to address some of these errors? Yeah, I, so both books argue the same major point. Um, I do it in two different ways. One very applicational, one very, um, you know, art, like 
academically rigorous. Uh, I want them to walk away impressed with the sufficiency of Christ. So I use the language of enoughness in both books that um, you can always try to figure out what a culture, even your own, what I call karmic Christian cultures, where we try to maintain God's blessing by doing enough, always trying to pray hard enough, or maybe today I really surrendered all, and maybe God's blessings will really follow me the rest of the week. That's just, that's a Christian version of karma, is what that is. And what the books try to recover is the good news of sola fide, of resting and trusting in Christ alone. And then from there, kind of writing pastorally to encourage Christians reading it, saying that same good news is applicable to all cultures that we all can rest in Christ as enough for us to save us, um, regardless of our culture. So um, it's, it's motivated out of, you know, years of living kind of in the drag of the mission field, and not seeing a lot of fruit and just wondering, am I, what am I doing wrong? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough, Lord? And getting to a point where, you know, the good news of sola fide really sustain me and help me. And I just see so many missionaries, so much high attrition, missionaries languishing, just trying to be radical enough. Mm. or trying to jump on the next bandwagon, something that's really going to work this time. And I, I just think Jesus is the Lord of the church. We don't build the kingdom. That's God's job. We're, we're not kingdom builders. We testify to the kingdom. We bear witness to it. Um, we need to rest in the king of the kingdom and share that good news with other people. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, that book, again, is now available for pre-order. So if you are a missionary or a potential missionary or you're a Christian or pastor, uh, access this book. The one that is available is the uh, practical uh, book, and Ancient Gospel, Brave New World will be coming out later in the fall, and you can pick up that if you're interested in diving a little deeper into the topic. Dr. Burns, thanks so much for joining us today on The Sword of the Trial. Good to have you. 